Okay, so uh, today we're going to be talking about being contemplative in ordinary life. Uh, we're going to start with an Our Father. So, uh, hey, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Okay. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. So, uh, we're going to start off uh, in the Gospel of John at the beginning. There, that's it pulled up. Um, kind of this interaction of Jesus with some of uh, John the Baptist's apostles here. So, I'm going to start at uh, John 35. It says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So I think that's a profound uh, question there that Jesus asked uh, these two disciples. He says, what are you looking for? And uh, that can be easily a question we see on the surface. You know, that can be something of, you know, what what are you looking for right at this moment? And I mean, it could have easily been when the disciple said, you know, I'm, I'm actually looking for my sandal. Had you happened to see it while we were down at the uh, River Jordan there getting baptized? Uh, I'm missing mine. Did you happen to pick mine up? Um, uh, and so clearly, you know, Jesus wasn't asking that simple question. He was asking, you know, something deep in their hearts. I think sometimes we have to, to let that question enter into our hearts. You know, what are we looking for? And the, the disciples themselves respond with their own question and say, where are you staying? Okay, you know, and um, again, that could have been an easy answer. Jesus could have said, oh, I'm just up the road at some friend's house. Okay, great. <laughs> Sounds good. Glad you got a place to stay. Um, you know, but Jesus says something very profound. And one of the disciples we know who is Andrew, because Andrew then comes and brings his brother Simon later on. Um, and he says to them, come and you will see. Uh, and obviously this is the beginning of the calling for, the, for these uh, disciples of Jesus. Come and you will see where Jesus is staying. And so, how do we kind of come and see Jesus and see where he's staying in an everyday life? You know, that's, that's kind of what the experience we'd like to have as well, is uh, seeing Jesus. Because deep down inside, when we wake up every day, when we think about it, what are we looking for? We are looking for that deeper meaning, that deeper purpose and answer in our life. Uh, that questions that arise in the silence of our heart, you know, why am I here? What was I made for? Where am I going? Um, that can be summed up really in what are we looking for? And so uh, I think this is a perfect place to start to discover how we can see where Jesus is staying. Uh, and so I'm going to start out with a, a quote from St. Maria about the contemplative life uh, and how that may interact with their ordinary life. So he starts out, I will never share the opinion, though I respect it, of those who separate prayer from active life, as if they were incompatible. We children of God have to be contemplative people who, in the midst 
of the din of the throng know how to find silence of the soul in a lasting conversation with our Lord. People who know how to look at him as they look at a father, as they look at a friend, as they look at someone with whom they are madly in love with. Uh, And that comes back to, again, this idea of what he says at the end, looking at someone with whom they are madly in love with. And that comes from uh, his book entitled The Forge, uh, 738. And so when we think of contemplative life, what thoughts might run through our head? Right. I feel like someone who, um, I don't know, just uh, is very introverted and, and, and uh, kind of like a monk. Monks yeah, yeah. So, so, so we think about monastic life. We think of people just sitting in a cell, praying, <laughs> saying three rosaries a day, and following the liturgy of the hours. And uh, uh, you know, maybe we think about uh, mystical prayers or apparitions that they have, or miracles or supernatural signs, stigmatas. You know, a lot, uh, a lot of free time um, to come. Yeah, so we think about the contemplative life really as as something that's uh, set aside for particular people, but uh, uh, we don't think of that as something we could enter. How can we be in continuous prayer with the Lord? And I think we have to step back and look at what the word contemplative means. So first, con being meaning with, and templative meaning the temple, Mm. right? So we're with the temple it's in regards to being with the temple and uh where is the temple so actually uh saint paul gives us obviously a uh, profound response to this in uh 1 corinthians 6 when he says do you not know your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god and you are not your own so we got to remember what was the point of the temple in the Jewish uh, tradition. Well, first it was to offer prayer and sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, and uh, the priest is the one at the temple who would lead this. And so we could ask if we're a temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, then who's the priest of our temple? And uh, this brings us back to a deeper point that we sometimes also forget about, which uh, St. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2nd chapter, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own. Again, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So if we remember actually in baptism, our baptism actually calls us to this royal priesthood. We think about the priesthood like priests and bishops and, um, and uh, cardinals and the popes, you know, that's this uh, particular set of priesthood and we're outside of this. But that's actually specifically the ministerial priesthood, which is, you know, specifically for, uh, you know, uh, the purpose of ministering the sacraments and also their positions of authority that they have, especially the bishops and and the Pope, of course. And so we ourselves are called to that priesthood, to be the priests of the temple of our bodies and to offer prayer and sacrifice to the Lord. And going back to St. Josemaria, he says, on the contrary, you must understand now more clearly that God is calling you to serve Him in and from the ordinary material and secular activities of human life. Okay? So again, He's calling you in and from ordinary material and secular activities. Okay? Sometimes we think of secular as not religious. 
of remember at the end of a lot of, our, of the prayers in Latin, we say secular, secularium, you know, like to offer, you know, uh, uh, to make holy or sanctify the world and everything in it. And when he's saying serve uh, God, we must understand really what we're saying is to love God. And it goes back to this idea of being madly in love with God. So, how do we live madly in love with Christ, right? And sometimes it's hard to, you know, think about this idea of being madly in love with Christ. So I'd like to kind of bring us to uh, another example and to think about, let's think of uh, you just started dating a girl who you're head over heels with. You know, you just, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing girl you've ever met. You know, how would your life change after you met this woman, right? <laughs> well, you'd be very happy, but I mean, specifically, I mean, some of the things we would probably start seeing ourselves doing is we'd want to talk to them frequently, right? You know, no, I, I mean, you'd send text messages, you wake up in the morning and say, hey, how's it going? Good morning, right? Um, you know, we'd make sacrifices uh, to, to uh, various ways, maybe, you know, bring flowers or a gift or something like that, you know, go out of your way to spend time with her really want to get to know her, her desires, her likes, her dislikes, you know, um, we would prioritize this girl in our life, you know, we wouldn't say, if we got a call from her, hey, you want to hang out uh, and go see this uh, poetry reading, we wouldn't say, oh, no, sorry, don't have time for that, uh, I got to go out and drink with my friends, sorry, you know, we'd probably make a lot of excuses and, and ways to, to spend time with this girl and to get to really know her. Uh, and ultimately, you know, if, if we've, you know, found a strong attraction to her, you know, ultimately want to be with her, marry her, be one flesh. And so this is really what the Eucharist actually is about. You know, Christ is calling us to be that one by that one flesh with us. Uh, and so if we remember from the, the catechism, the Eucharist, as they say, is the source and summit of Christian life. So it's not just the summit of Christian life. It's not just the highest form of worship we could offer to God. It's the source of our life. And so if it's the source of our life, it really, the Mass has to kind of be a model for that life, right? You know? Um, and uh, making our daily life modeled after the Mass, right? And we have all the elements there that we can make in our daily life and from the Mass. Uh, it seems... You know, how's that practical, you know? Well, you know, there's the priest, and there's the readings, and there's homilies, and prayers of the faithful, and they bring the you know, bread and wine, and then there's the sacrifice, and you receive Christ himself. Uh, and so there's a, you know, like, how do I live the Mass as the model of my daily life? That doesn't really work, Tom, you know? I, I'm not sitting there in front of an altar with my hands up and praying and having a priest lead us in prayers and stuff, you know, I'm I'm in the laboratory, or I'm taking care of patients right now, or I'm doing the laundry, I'm going to the grocery store, right? Doesn't sound like mass to me. Doesn't sound very holy, okay? So I don't know how that works. And we have to step back and realize that we, again, we're the priests, so we can bring our work as uh, a sacrifice to God. I mean, we have to just go back and just look at, you know, one of the first figures in the Bible, you know, Abel. And how did Abel please God? Abel pleased God because he brought his work, his first, fir first fruits, to the Lord. 
unlike Cain, who was selfish and kept the best things for himself and reserved that. Uh, and so Abel is a very uh, wonderful f- first example to us of living this this you know priestly life, uh, this contemplative life in our work. And so we have to see that our work, even the din of life, the boring stuff, the little you know little work things that we do. Uh, you know, the, the doing the laundry, the mopping the floor, the cleaning of things, those insignificant moments uh, are like our bread and wine that, that we bring at Mass. Remember for the sacrifice. And if you remember the words from the Mass, it says, this is the fruit of the earth or fruit of the vine, work of human hands. Okay? So already at the Mass, we're bringing the work of human hands to God to be sanctified. Okay? And so that same idea with our own work has to be, you know, that same way we present our work. Okay? And so how do we kind of incorporate that idea of work? Because sometimes, you know, it's hard to. I don't sit there thinking while I'm talking to patients about their blood sugars, like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm lifting this up to God right at this moment, and the Holy Spirit's coming down with fire and consuming the sacrifice and, <laughs> and beautiful display of love, and graces are flying all over the place, and, man, mad conversions are going on, and we're being, ele- you know, you know uh, there, there's, there's no oil or chrism or, you know, any of this stuff um, going on. And so how do I make that actually a reality? Uh, and this comes back to, again, St. Holmes and Maria's idea called this plan of life, where we have a set plan of life, you know, and we set up our day with various things to help us order our day. Uh, and that includes things like morning prayer offering, or maybe, you know, you read from the Bible something. Again, isn't that imitating, like, you know, the scriptures that we read at Mass? Or maybe we offer other prayers or rosary or something for other people around us that need our prayers. Isn't that like the prayers of the faithful? Okay. Um, and then taking that time to offer, you know, work that we're doing throughout the day for others or for, you know, uh, specific intentions that we might have. You know, uh, St. Husband Maria talked about, you know, when you open up your book and study, when a student's opening their book and studying, you know, that's still a time of prayer. And you would tell people you could just put out your crucifix and, you know, look at your crucifix and study. And while you're in the midst of studying and reading about, you know, chemical reactions and, uh, or, you know, various things in infectious disease or whatever, you know, just periodically look over at the cross or something like that and draw inspiration and strength from that, right? Say a prayer to stay on tennis. <laughs> that's true. And so that's important because that can help what's called sanctifying our work, making sure we're doing it well because we want to do our work well, okay? Uh, you know, we, we don't we don't bring uh, we don't bring uh, grape juice and on uh, uh, this, you know, broken up pieces of fragments of bread when we bring it to the mass, you know. We want to bring the best, right? And so we want to do our work well. And so when we do our work well for the sake of God, even if it seems very ordinary, wiping down a table, okay, that still is a sacrifice that's pleasing to God, okay? It doesn't have to be lofty or great or huge, you know? It's it's the small things in life that we're doing each day that God presents to us. That's the bread and wine that we're supposed to be bringing, you know? The bread and wine really are simple gifts. I mean, how could you say something made as a wafer and 
grape juice that ferments into wine uh, is is uh, anything of value in itself. Um, it seems very small in itself, just like our work at times can seem small. But then, what does the Holy Spirit with, do with that? Transforms in the body and blood of Christ. I mean, that's the most amazing action on the earth. You know, they don't. They, we don't put gold pieces or, yeah, you know, we don't have some amazing cook make the most amazing elaborate bread, and we don't use like three hundred dollar bottle of wine. You know, we're bringing the simple things, but they're still the best things that we can bring, and it's still something beautiful. Uh, and at times we can be taken back by this. Like, how does a plan of life, Tom, seem to fall under this idea or just talking about it being madly in love? Isn't love sometimes? so much more beautiful because it's spontaneous and you're talking about a plan well uh, for any of us who are married out there uh, we actually know that uh, many a times uh, we actually have to plan out many things you know uh, that spontaneity isn't always there I can't just you know say to my wife hey you want to go see a movie tonight and just ditch our kids and drive off somewhere and do whatever you know uh, but it doesn't quite work out and so Many a times, uh, life, you know, uh, you know, in a romantic relationship, a lot of times we have to plan. We have to set up things to do various things, or I have to plan out. Oh yeah, I need to take some time to drop, stop up for the store to pick up flowers before I go pick up my kids, and I can give these flowers to my wife. Okay, and sure, there's still sponta- uh, spontaneous moments in our life, you know. Um, when we walk around, you know, say we're walking outside and we just decide to say a prayer as we're walking, going from one event to another, or maybe you're driving by and you're on your way to an event and you see a church, and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to stop in and, and make a visit to Jesus and briefly talk to him here before going on my way. So there's times for these spontaneous moments with Christ. Um, but we know if we don't have this plan of life, uh, we're going to miss out on those important moments of showing love to God and offering our work. Um, and so coming back to this idea, um, sometimes uh, we can get down because it's like, well, Tom, I'm not always thinking at every moment about my life in regards to how it relates to Christ. Sometimes I'm in the midst of deep uh, works and studies or lab works or uh, I'm at the DMV uh, you know, and um, sometimes I just, you know, I'm, I don't think about Christ necessarily in these moments. You know, I'm. This seems very hard to live. Okay, I can't, I can't just be like, oh my gosh, I see Christ everywhere. Uh, and we have to remember that a lot of times Christ is hidden. Okay, he's 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 present but hidden, and that's okay. You know, if we think about it, on the road to Emmaus. You know, the disciples who were in despair after the crucifixion and weren't aware of Jesus' resurrection met Christ, but he was hidden from their view. And they just listened in this regular, ordinary activity of walking on their way, leaving Jerusalem to Emmaus. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until they got to the breaking of the bread and then they realized Jesus was with them the whole time. So for a large chunk of that time, these disciples did not recognize Jesus, okay? But then they were able to look back and see how Christ was there in that moment of their lives. Um, and, um, you know, it was actually an act of love on their part. They invited Christ to stay with them and not keep on going because it was late. And they didn't even know it was Christ. But again, living a virtuous life, they, they reached out with love. And they were rewarded with that, with this realization that Christ was with them this whole time. Um, and actually, Christ predicts this for us. When 
uh, we realize that we're not necessarily going to know always when we have served him. Um, uh, in uh, Matthew 25, he talks about at the end of the world and the final judgment here. And he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, and you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you clothed me. Naked, and uh, uh, a stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? When you when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you when did we see you ill or in prison and visit you and the king will say to them and reply amen i say to you whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine you did for me then he will say to those on the left depart from me for you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels for i was hungry and you gave me no food i was thirsty and you gave me no drink a stranger and you gave me no welcome naked and you gave me no clothing ill and in prison and you did not care for me then they will answer and say lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or ill or in prison and not minister to your needs and you say amen i say to you what you did not do for one of these least ones you did not do for me and so going back to the you know what the righteous said when did we see you lord they're they're kind of taken off guard they're surprised that this you know this praise of their actions like really i served the lord i was helping you you know and you know that's probably what life is going to be like when we get to the particular judgment god's going to review our whole life every little bit but he's going to show it from his perspective and we're going to see things that were going on that we didn't even realize so you know christ is going to be hidden in that patient on the icu on the ventilators that everyone was ignoring but maybe you walked up held their hand and spoke to them as the and treated them as a person or the friend you who's down and you sent a text message to or the stranger you held the door for or the frustrated dmv clerk uh that you showed patience with you know you're you're not gonna think about it maybe at the moment of this but by loving and serving others as if they were christ in our hearts even though we might not think about it at the moment we're gonna see this amazing beautiful story like Michael, you know, you, you counseled me when I was struggling with alcohol and helped me get over my addiction, uh, you know, and he's going to show us all these amazing effects of the work we did, you know, sometimes, you know, we don't always see that, maybe the smile we gave to someone uh, brightened their day, there was an interesting story about a, uh, uh, a guy who wrote in his journal that said, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, he was completely distraught about life, and he wrote in his journal, if anyone smiles Show me, shows me a smile as I walk on my way towards the Golden Gate Bridge. I will not jump off the bridge if anyone smiles at me. And it's like, wow, you don't know the impact of what your love, even small actions of love, might do for others. Um, and even if it didn't do much, you know, even if it maybe never came to much personally, you know, for that person, it's still showing that love. Uh, and that you have that light of Christ within you. But also, you're madly in love with Christ because you realize that Christ 
is not simply in a church. You know, he's not simply in a book. Christ is here present now. In fact, uh, the words that John's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel talk about Christ at the end of the time doesn't talk about Christ necessarily entering from heaven into earth. It actually talks about all of a sudden Christ will be revealed. Meaning he's here this whole time, but now everyone is going to see that. And Jesus even talks about in John's Gospel, he says, you know, the world will not see me, but you will see me. And so when we live this contemplative life in our daily actions, we'll start recognizing Christ more. Uh, and to kind of sum up, uh, St. Josemaria, he had a, a thing where he liked to uh, follow up very closely on the oratories when they were being built. Uh, and he was very involved. The, oh, church, like little churches. Oh, like but, Well, I mean like the little chapels inside like centers of Opus Dei. So oh, right. he very f- closely followed down to the details of the chapels in Opus Dei, making sure. And when they got to like the 17th or 18th, there was a supposedly a story that someone asked him. And he said, you know, oh, you, you, we know you've been very closely following all these chapels and how well they're being built and stuff. You know, you got to have a favorite one. And he actually looked out the window. And he pointed his fingers outside to, outside to just the streets below and said, that's my favorite oratory. That's my favorite chapel. 